Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we pray that you would endue us with great faith, that we would not tremble before you, but come before you boldly to pray and to give you our lives, to be enriched and strengthened by you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So, I I suspect that most of you know by now what viral videos are. For whatever reason, people really want to make these viral videos, but if you don't, they're these videos that, that lots of people watch and get really excited about. I don't entirely understand it. But one of the popular trends is, is videos of making things clean. And I will admit that watching these, especially watching the ones of making a rug clean, is one of the most satisfying things. <laughs> right? You, you, they, they start with this rug that's brown. And you can kind of see, well, maybe there's a pattern there. And then over the course of a couple minutes, fast-forwarded through all the hard work that the person is, is doing, they manage to take this brown and disgusting rug and, and clean out all the dirt, and you watch the kind of the dirty water wash away a- a- until the rug is, is restored to its former glory. It, its, its bright patterns is, are popping out. It's a really satisfying thing. This morning, we we watch Jesus as he withdraws from Galilee and goes into a Gentile region. Tyre and Sidon is a Gentile region. And it seems that he's hoping that maybe by leaving the Jewish-dominated area, he would be able to get a little reprieve from the crowds. And what's really fascinating here is not only does he leave the region and go into this region of Tyre and, and probably Sidon, is that it's, it's decidedly a Gentile region, and we read that he goes into a house. So not only does he go into a Gentile region, but most likely he goes into a Gentile house. And it's really important that, that we try and remember back to last week. And if, if you weren't here or, or your memory is, is not as good as you hope it was, last week there was this intense scene between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were really, really, really concerned about external cleanliness, right? If you remember last week, his his disciples hadn't washed their hands at some point in time. And the Pharisees were like, well, that's a no-no. And now what Jesus does is he leaves that conversation behind. And he goes to the unclean region of Tyre and Sidon. He goes into an unclean house, <clears throat> and going there, he's hoping, of course, that he might have some rest. But, of course, we read that, that almost immediately, this woman hears that he's there, and something pops in her head, and she comes running to him, begging for her daughter's life. And so we read that this woman is a Gentile. Unless we think that, oh, she's maybe like a Jew and a Gentile or something like that, Mark doubles down and tells us, no, she's a Syrophoenician. And it doesn't really matter what all that means, except that what Mark is really trying to arrive home is she is very, 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 very much so a Gentile. 
So in case you're not keeping up, he's in an unclean region, in an unclean house, and a woman who is unclean is now bowing before her, before him, begging for, wait for it, her solder who has an unclean spirit. A little bit of a trend picking up here, right? And so there's this tension that's getting tighter and tighter and tighter in this story. That this, this uncleanness has come before Jesus. Following right on the tails of this incredible interchange between the Pharisees and Jesus. In which Jesus doubles down that cleanliness and uncleanliness comes from within. And not from outside of you. And so this woman falls at his feet, and and we learn that apparently Jesus' notoriety has even spread outside of Galilee into the regions surrounding it, even into non-Jewish regions. And and we even see a contrast between this woman and the Pharisees. She isn't worshiping him. That's that's not what's implied by her falling down before him. But, But it's this act of coming before in respect and reverence to somebody that's greater than you. It would be what somebody might do before a king or, or something along that lines. <clears throat> and we learn of this woman's daughter having this unclean spirit, which is what brings her to Jesus. And in light of what the Pharisees have done, there's this, this sharp contrast between internal and external cleanliness. And as this woman falls before Jesus, we notice that sharp distinction between that which the Pharisees approached Jesus and how she approaches Jesus. She comes before him and falls before him in humility and in hope. Humility because she recognizes that Jesus is greater than she is. Hope because she she hopes that perhaps, perhaps Jesus can heal her daughter. Meanwhile, the Pharisees had come before him in arrogance, there's no sign of respect towards Jesus. And not only that, their hope is to tear him down, to finally quiet him and end his ministry. But then Jesus' response is shocking. Jesus' response is shocking, although he starts by, by giving a little bit of hope. He starts with, let the, little ch- let the children be fed first. Right? And there's a little glimmer of hope in that we, we know from Jesus' ministry, in and out, he, re, he continually reminds the reader and, and the, those who might hear him that he was called first to the house of Israel. That doesn't mean that he won't eventually send out into the rest of the world. And we know that eventually the disciples go out into the rest of the world and do good works to his glory and bring many people to know him. But it's first to the house of Israel to the children of Israel, that Jesus is sent. But then we get to the shocking part, because he says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, some people have have really attempted to kind of soften what this, this is saying, right? And they say, well, well, what's really meant here is, is to the little dogs, like house dogs. But, but I want to think, you to think about that for a minute. You come to me and you say, I really need your help with something. 
And I say, well, well, no, I'm, I'm busy helping Sue and, and Jim with, with something right now. I, I think of them like my children. You're, you're really more like moose to me. <laughs> As you know, I love moose most of the time. <clears throat> but if I compared you to him, well, I compared to somebody else to my children, you would be right to be offended. It's, it's an offensive and shocking statement that Jesus has given this woman. It's shocking and offensive, and it's deliberately offensive because Jesus is responding to her exactly how she would expect a Jewish religious leader to respond to a Gentile. <clears throat> But what Jesus is doing isn't just kind of brushing her off and trying to get rid of her. And, and we, it could be easy to read it like that. It's not what Jesus is trying to do here. But rather, he's testing and proving her faith. If we remember back two weeks ago, I know if, if you don't remember last week, we're really testing your memory to go back two weeks. But it, if we remember two weeks ago, we have the disciples on the boat, and they're afraid and we realize really quickly that, that Jesus sent them out into the storm to test their faith. And what does that testing show about the disciples? It shows that their hearts were hard. And so we fast forward to the week in between, and the Pharisees, again, reveal about themselves something. And that is that they care far more about outward holiness than inward holiness. And so we now come to a third testing, to a third proving. And it's not, it's not the disciples, it's not the Pharisees that come out looking good. It's a Gentile woman. It's a Gentile woman whose faith has just been proved. Because she responds, not as most of us probably would in offense or anger, she instead affirms what Jesus has said and then recognizes a reality. She kind of plays off of what Jesus says and says, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And probably most of you have seen children eat and have seen children eat with dogs around. A smart dog will know if I sit right under that chair, I'm going to get food. Because inevitably, the child will spill. But more importantly, she recognizes that Jesus is more than enough to heal her daughter. She realizes that Jesus can heal her daughter if it is his will. Even if the children eat their fill, there is still plenty of mercy and grace and kindness for the dogs, for anybody else to eat their fill from just the scraps and the crumbs. So before we continue on, we've already learned three things. First, that this odd saying of Jesus points out something really important. And that is that the church is for Christians. So often the church wants to attract every single person under the sun. 
So we become tempted to water down our message. So we become tempted to make ourselves so attractional that the gospel ceases to be preached. And I, I found this from time to time. People, people wonder, well, how, how do we grow the church? And there's a really simple answer to that, right, if we don't really care. There's a really simple answer. If you fire me, hire a really dynamic speaker who can actually preach reasonably well. If he agrees to preach some sort of soften and fun message that makes everybody feel really good, and then also fire Elizabeth. Sorry, Elizabeth, you're going down with me. And hire a band that's really entertaining and good. I guarantee you, the church will explode. But the purpose of the church isn't to entertain. It isn't to draw every single person and their brother and mother. It is to preach the gospel. In using gospel-centered hymns like Elizabeth so faithfully chooses for us week in and week out, in preaching the gospel from the pulpit, in maintaining a reverent liturgy, you and I will continue to grow in Christ because we hear the same message week in and week out, that Christ comes to you, that Christ calls you to repentance and gives you forgiveness, that Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is sanctifying you, is making you holy so that you can live as you heard this morning in the epistle lesson. So the church is for the Christians. But the church is also for the world. This is the second thing that we learn. The church is for the world because when we acknowledge what I just said, the next step is really easy to become a little ghetto of faith. We don't talk to anybody else outside the walls of our church. We close ourselves off to our neighbors. We don't share the gospel with anybody. But the church is called to build up believers so they can be a blessing to their neighbors. So that they can care for their neighbors, not for their own glory, not for their own pride, not for their self-sufficiency or self-preservation, but that God would be glorified amongst them. Finally, we learn from this first section that the testing of your faith is not cruelty, but kindness. We tend to grow despondent when we face tests of faith, whether they be tests that last 24 hours or 24 days or a year. Testing of your faith makes you stronger, draws you closer to Christ, and reminds you that it is in dependence upon Christ alone that you are sustained. So persevere and continue to cry out to Christ. And then Jesus responds to this woman. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Now, much like this statement about the dogs, this, this can also seem really confusing to some people because they think what happens here is Jesus gets into a debate with the woman. And that somehow the woman is teaching Jesus something about faith. 
But that's not at all what has happened. Jesus has put the woman's faith to the test, knowing full well how she would respond. And now Jesus has revealed to everyone who saw this the depth of the woman's faith. Jesus draws her closer through this testing. Jesus draws her to himself so that people might know his glory all the better. Where the disciples had been shown to have a hard heart, where the Pharisees had been shown to simply care for outward appearances and not care for the hearts of others, this Gentile woman's faith was shown to be deeper and more trusting than either of those groups. And so the woman returns home and finds her daughter, her child, lying on the bed with the demon gone. Jesus here does something astonishing. He moves towards the unclean. We saw that four times Jesus makes steps closer and closer and closer to the unclean. He does not shrink away from uncleanliness. He moves towards that which appears outwardly unclean outside of Galilee. And and he moves towards those who are in fact unclean. Last week we ended with this list of things that make us unclean. And it, it it was a little bit overwhelming how we saw our sin how it brings about death. But we have to remember something about Mark's gospel account, that his primary audience wasn't Jewish Christians, but most likely was Gentile Christians living just north of Israel in Syria. The message was clear then to them. You do not need these outward appearances of cleanliness. You don't need to eat just the right things. You don't need to go through the ceremony of circumcision but rather you need the inward, life-changing work of Jesus in your life. These things were big, big questions for the early Christians. And Mark was affirming to them, no, it is Jesus that makes you clean. It is Jesus that circumcises your heart and gives you a new heart. Because now we have seen definitively, Jesus has shown that he is not afraid of your sin. Jesus is not afraid of those things that you think make you unclean. But instead, he moves towards you in the depth of your uncleanness. Jesus is moving towards each person here today, whether you are in Christ or outside of him, whether you are rejecting and rebelling against Christ or whether you have embraced him wholeheartedly whether you find yourself in joy this morning or in the depths and pits of struggle, Jesus is moving towards you. In the struggles of life, you may feel this testing like this woman did this morning. You may have questions about why this testing is happening. But Jesus has also given you faith through the power of the Holy Spirit to move through those struggles and through those tests, so that you can hold all the more tightly to him. Not only has Jesus moved towards you, not only has Jesus empowered you to grow in sanctification, to grow in faith, Jesus 
makes you clean. So that you may be called to holiness. So that you may be called to flee from sin and have the power to do such. Because holiness comes from Christ. The ability to flee from sin comes from the Holy Spirit residing in you. So remember that Christ is drawing you nearer and nearer this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.